Good morning. Welcome to worship on this last Sunday of August. Hard to believe that it's already there. We'll be getting our fall very quickly. Welcome to worship this morning. Good to have you here and it's good to be here. I especially want to say thank you for the music this morning. Um, sometimes a certain hymn will just touch you in a way that uh, it hasn't before. And this morning I felt especially the feeling of the music this morning. And I hope you all, you all did. You are very blessed to have the kind of music you have. Are there announcements that anyone would like to share? This is the fifth Sunday, as we were reminded last Sunday. And so it's a time for a special offering for local missions. Uh, if you have not done that, there are envelopes down uh, as you come into the front door. You could put something in there or maybe just mark something this morning uh, as you leave if you haven't already done that. Anything else this morning? That's a special envelope, is it? Good, very good. All right, well, let us enter into our time of worship then by singing the chorus and the first verse of thy word.
Please be seated for our call to worship this morning. We come to the Lord to give God praise and give thanks with all our hearts. The works of the Lord are great, and we find our pleasure in what God has done, in doing and will do. God is gracious and merciful and is always mindful of his covenant. We are God's people, and God is with us. The works of God are faithfulness and justice, and God is worthy of our respect and trust. God, God has sent redemption, and, and to respect God is the beginning, beginning of wisdom. wisdom. When, when we, we practice, practice respect, respect, we have, have a, a good, good understanding. understanding. God's, God's praises, praises will endure forever. forever. Let us join together in our prayer of invocation. Lord, we seek after many things, and our lives are filled with stuff. Too often we surround ourselves with what we think really matters, and then discover in difficult times that we missed that which was most important. Forgive us when we measure our worth by our possessions or position or influence. By the direction of your Holy Spirit, awaken us to that which truly has lasting importance. When we leave aside the things of this world, we begin to understand that true worth can only be found in our relationship with you and each other. Even as you promise to be with us, may we find ways to be with each other that hold promise and goodness. Come, Lord Jesus, that we might have fullness of life. Fill us today with your grace and love. In Jesus' name, amen. The epistle reading for this morning comes from Paul's letter again to the church at Rome. And in the 12th chapter, we find this admonition. Again, to the people who are living in a city that is not particularly welcoming to Christians, a city that is filled with many different religious traditions and ideas. And in the midst of all of that, there is a small group of believers in Jesus Christ. And Paul knows that if they are to succeed in their mission, that is to proclaim the love and grace of Christ, they must do it with great sincerity. And so he writes these words, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. 
Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God for the people of God. fifth Sunday, and so it's uh, a mission to take care of people who live near you. And to do that, one of the things you do is you have a food pantry, and we like to have people who are hungry be able to get some food. Well, this morning, I brought a food that is very, oh, I guess common right now because sweet corn is being grown. It doesn't last all year, it only lasts for the summer. But there's something interesting about sweet corn. You see all these little pieces right here? That's called corn silk. Now it's strange, but I didn't know this for a long time. But when you pull this back, if you could count every one of these little pieces, each one of them would be attached to a kernel of corn. So if you go home today, and I'm going to send corn home with you, before you eat it, see if you can count all of those. I'll bet that will take a long time. <laughs> because each one is attached to a kernel of corn somewhere on this stalk. And that's how God makes sure that this corn gets ripe and it gets good to eat. You know, God has provided a lot of wonderful things in this world for people. And if we would only share what God has made, we wouldn't have people who are hungry in the world. But many years ago, I traveled to a place called India. It has a lot of people there and a lot of children. And children your age are sometimes out in the garbage picking up food because they are hungry. So when we do things like have a mission for food and the food pantry, there are hungry people in Norwich too. And there are hungry people in all the little towns around Norwich. And we can help to feed them. So I just do this this morning to kind of maybe remind you that God has made a world where it is possible to feed all the people. It's up to us to be careful and to try to do that.
So when you get home today, maybe your dad will do it. Ha. <laughs> Let's pray. Gracious God, we're thankful that you have created a world that is filled with many, many good things. And it is filled with all that we need for life, including food. So help us always to be thinking about others, not just ourselves, but to thinking about ways we can help other people who are hungry to find the food they need, not only in our own community, but all around the world. Bless us because Christ has called us to feed those who are hungry and to give water to those who are thirsty. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We have some prayers concerns again today, uh, one of which uh, is to continue to remember all of those persons who are in our nursing facilities. Uh, they continue to be at great risk. Um, so, and, and also the workers who uh, spend time giving them care. Um, I'm not sure we, we sometimes understand what a calling that is. And, and the kind of devotion and dedication it really takes to be in the presence of a situation where at any moment things could uh, go wrong. And yet they're there and they are caring for and tending to the needs of people. Also, um, most of the communities around us are going to begin school shortly after Labor Day. And again, um, there was a nice feature on uh, the evening news about uh, school nurses. And think about the fact that if a school has a nurse, they have the responsibility to care for all of the children and the teachers of that place. And they too are in positions of grave concern and need. So let's keep our children, our teachers, uh, and those who are working with uh, any group of people in prayer and continue to pray for this world as we move through these difficult days. Um, there are so many things that we need to be alert to and aware of. Anything else this morning? Yes. I um, appreciate your scripture that you picked the moment. Yes. I didn't want to begin my sermon now, but, <laughs> but that's exactly right. We are in a position of being in between. And I will tell you this, this is a great concern, but the church has always been the leaven in the loaf. That is, we have an opportunity to stand for what is right and good, and that's why Paul wrote this to the church at Rome. 
Paul wanted these folks to know that they were in awkward places and difficult situations. And the only way to redress that is to keep the faith. Because no matter what happens around you, remember, you are disciples of Jesus Christ and always do the Christ-like thing. That is the most important part of this whole concern we have right today. Do the Christ-like thing. Well, let us pray. Lord, as we think about the world in which we live and the world which you created, when you first saw it, you looked at it and you said, it is good. And in its beginning, its potential for fulfilling all the needs of every part of creation were so great. And then things began to fall apart. The human family began to act in selfish ways, to be indifferent to the needs of those around them, to amass more than was needed. And the list can go on and on, Lord, because we know you are so very aware of it. But in the midst of that, you have called all of us as people who claim Jesus Christ as Lord to truly be at work in the world for good. Forgive us where we have not been more sensitive. Open us to a new way of thinking or being, if that be our need. But always remind us that once we have accepted Christ as Lord, he comes first in all of the decisions and actions of our lives. We give you thanks that he came into this world because without him, we would be at sea without an anchor and without a course. But you have shown us a more perfect way and we have seen it in the life and ministry of Jesus. We have seen it in the lives and ministry of countless thousands and millions who followed him. Help us to see it in our own lives and in the life of our churches and in our communities. For truly in every storm, the promise of your presence will make all of the difference. So we pray for those who are going to be working with our children. We pray for those who are working with older people. We pray for everyone who is at risk with this virus. Lord, you are the great physician. So guide those who minister to us through medicine and science and through whatever means you choose to make your word and your will known. But may most of all the healing grace of your love and presence be our source of courage in troubled times. We do give you thanks that you continue to be with us, that you go before us to prepare the way. And so it is in that spirit that we pray the prayer which Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our debts as, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
my hope is built. Let us stand to sing together. according to Matthew. Um, Matthew, of course, um, writes what he shares with us after the crucifixion and the resurrection. And he wants to be sure that we do not lose sight of all that took place in the life and ministry of Jesus, as do the other Gospels. So he writes this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, when we are tossed to and fro by the concerns of this world, we need to see a light in the darkness, calling us to that which will bring us a sense of peace and purpose. And so that is why we look to your word when we gather together as your people. For we do live in a world that seems to be troubled at every corner. And yet we know that you send us into that world as your people. So when we gather here, we pray that your word will become a beacon, not only for us as we are together here, but when we go into the world as your people. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, it's no secret that life is filled with many choices. Even as Paul wrote this letter to the church at Rome, he also was very aware that it's not easy to stand in the midst of troubled times and know which direction to go. For example, he also wrote, the evil that I would not do, I seem to do. And the good that I would do, I seem to not get done. Paul is aware of what it means for us to stand in a situation where we have to make choices. And sometimes our best intentions just simply fall flat. Many years ago, I had the privilege of traveling to India. We went to northern India, which in those days was called the place of the Green Revolution. Places like Iowa State University and Cornell University were working with the people of the north of India to increase the way in which they grew their rice so that greater crops could be harvested for feeding the hungry. So in their well intentions, they sent to the north of India tractors, plows, uh, harrows, all of the kinds of instruments we see on our farms here in this country. Do you know how big a rice paddy is? Do you know how they grow rice in that country? A rice paddy is no bigger than this sanctuary. It is surrounded by little troughs that will carry water in to cover the seed so the rice can grow. Do you think you can grow, grow a, drive a tractor in there? Do you think you can pull a plow in there? So when we were there, what we saw were the best intentions of the best minds around agriculture in this country trying to do something to help people in another place and it was absolutely a disaster. The tractors were used for public transportation. They would hook them onto a wagon and fill the wagon with people and drive them off somewhere that they wanted to go. The metal instruments that had been sent to do something good were on the side of the road. They were of absolutely no use to the farmers who tried to go rice in those small fields. Sometimes our best intentions simply don't match the needs that are in front of us. It would have been so much more productive had we sent people from Cornell, had we sent people from Iowa State, two of the greatest agricultural institutions in this country, 
to the north of India to understand how we could be more helpful to them. Our intentions simply did not produce the fruit that they desired. Now all of us every day, I believe, are well-intentioned. When we get up in the morning, we want to make the best of the day in front of us. But also, every one of us is faced with decisions. Every day begins with decisions. Is it here or there? Is it this or that? And you can all put this in the context of your own daily experience. You will spend every day of your life making decisions. And hopefully the intention you have will bear the kind of fruit that you hope it will bear. When Paul wrote this letter, he outlined very clearly what he was hoping the disciples that were living in Rome, in Corinth, in Ephesus, in all of the places where Paul wrote letters, that they would be able to make good decisions and it would bear fruit for the kingdom. So we transition then to the gospel according to Matthew. These disciples also faced every day with decisions. The first, of course, came when Jesus was walking along the shore of Lake Galilee, talking with Peter, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee, and he said, come, follow me. What a momentous decision that was for these men. It meant they had to leave behind their livelihoods, they had to leave behind their families, they had to leave behind everything that was familiar to them and begin a journey that was just full of question marks. Not knowing where was Jesus going? What was he going to do? How would we live? How would we survive? Where would we stay? All of those questions were just simply milling around in the lives of these early disciples. But we come to know that one of the motivating forces of this journey was rooted and grounded in the culture of the day. Rome, Rome had been in charge of the life of the nation for a long time. Rome had become a thorn in the side of God's people. And every year that went by, there grew a hope and an expectation that God would somehow act in such a way to deliver them from this kind of bondage, just as God had acted when they were in slavery in Egypt, bringing them through the wilderness into the promised land. The hope that they would be restored to this place of grandeur, this nationhood that they had enjoyed for so many years. Now they were nothing but vassals, subject to the control of an empire that cared nothing for their history and nothing for their well-being. Saw them only as a, a people from whom they could exact tribute and take away stuff that way they would use for the good of Rome. And in the midst of that, Jesus recruited these disciples from Lake Galilee. They came with their own expectations. We know that because when Matthew writes about this account between Peter and Jesus, that these disciples were still embedded with the thought 
that somehow God had sent this person into the world to find a way to drive Rome out and deliver us again to our former state of splendor. And they went along. Even though time and time again Jesus tried to convey to them that his purpose in this world was not what their expectation was. How hard is it for us sometimes to give up our expectations of what we want God to be and do and to see more clearly what really is beginning to take shape and what's beginning to take place. If God is truly at work, one of the things we might want to consider today is how is God at work in the circumstances we are facing to do the new thing that God is always at work doing. God is not stuck somewhere in the past. God is not somehow a relic of yesterday. God is a God who goes before us. God is a God who anticipates us, who prepares the way that we need to be going. And yet those disciples couldn't let go of yesterday. They couldn't let go of their cultural expectations. They couldn't let go of the common man's dream of what might be if only God would act on our behalf. You know, it's a strange reality. God doesn't belong to us. God doesn't belong to us. We think sometimes that God is our God. But God is God, and we belong to God. And so what is it that God is trying to do in us and through us to make this world a better place? Those disciples had such a difficult time letting go of the God of yesterday, the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, the God who brought them into the promised land, the God who always said, I will be your God and you will be my people. <clears throat> but there is a catch. Because the reason God brought these people out of bondage and slavery into a promised land is that they would be a light to the nations. There is a purpose. It isn't just that God belongs to us. God has called us for a reason. And how do we become a light to the nation when we are not aware of what God is trying to do this new thing that God may be at work trying to accomplish. And so it is that this confrontation takes place between Jesus and Peter. <clears throat> it's obvious by this time that Peter is the spokesperson for this group of followers. And when Jesus tries to once again remind them that his life has a purpose to bring light to the world, Peter can only think of this cultural expectation you're going to lead a revolution. You're going to help us gather the troops. And we're going to do it and choice Rome out of the promised land. And we'll be restored to that place of grandeur once again. Jesus said, they want to kill me. What I'm doing is so disturbing and so upsetting to the status quo that the chief priests and the elders and the leaders of God's people 
want to kill me. They want to take my life. And it will happen. It's inevitable. I cannot change my course. I am going to do what God has asked me to do. And it's going to cost me my life. But I also trust that my life is safe in God's care. Peter rebukes Jesus. But can you imagine how Peter felt? Get behind me, Satan. You are doing the work of men, not the work of God. Peter must have been stunned, absolutely stunned that Jesus would speak to him in this way. But sometimes, friends, we need to hear a hard word in order to knock the stuffing out of us so that we can hear the new thing that God may be doing. God is not going to give up on God's purpose. If you read anything in Scripture, you know that God's purpose is that God will redeem the whole creation in the fullness of God's time. And God is going to keep on path. God is not going to take some side road just because we don't want to hear what God may be saying to us. God will continue to break through what the Scripture calls our hard foreheads. It took this word to Peter to make him rethink why he was following Jesus Christ. Was he here because he wanted to lead the revolution? Remember when Jesus is walking along and the two disciples are talking with their mother and Jesus says, what are you talking about? And they said, well, we're talking about who's going to take positions of honor in this new kingdom. Remember that? They're still focused on somehow being the vice president or whatever that position may be in God's kingdom. And Peter and, and Jesus has to remind these disciples again, this is not mine to give. This is not what I'm about. Why are you continuing to press this issue this way? So this moment in the Gospel of Matthew is a wake-up call for the disciples. And it's a wake-up call for us. We all confront difficult choices every single day. Some of them seem so insignificant. Shall you have coffee or tea? Shall you have eggs or toast? And yet, every decision fits into a unit somewhere along the way of our life's journeys. And they matter. They do matter. And yet, in the midst of all of that, not only did Jesus rebuke Peter, but Paul came to see the vision more clearly as well. How could he write these words to the church at Rome? How could he do this if he had not had that Damascus Road experience? It was like being hit between the eyes. A hard rebuke, which changed the direction of Paul's life. Lord, we friends need to be aware that we're living in such times. God is gonna to try to break through to us with a new way, a new understanding. God is going to go before us. We are not alone. But the question for all of us is, what choices will we make? 
Will they be the kinds of choices that help what God is trying to do become more of a reality every day? For Peter and the disciples, they did not give up this connection with their culture and their background until after Jesus appeared to them after the resurrection. They could not let go until Jesus came to them after he had been crucified and said to them, as they're gathered here in their room, hiding away from everything, you need to go into the world and you need to do my work. You need to give food to the hungry. You need to give water to the thirsty. You need to give care to those who are hurting and broken by the circumstances of life. And friends, we do that. We do it in so many ways, but we need to do it consciously and purposely because this world is in agony. You know, the psalmist looked at the world and said, it groans, it groans in travail. It's groaning, it's in pain. Who's going to help if it isn't us? Who's going to make a difference if we don't? The choice is not easy, but it is necessary. Would you pray with me? Oh God, help us not to become discouraged by the circumstances of life. Help us to see beyond that to the fact that you are going before us. Not only are you with us, but you prepare the way. And if we but follow in your way, life will become filled with all that you plan for it. We do give you thanks for Jesus, his ministry, for those disciples who had to come to a new understanding of your work and your way in this world. Help us then as we continue our work as your people to look to you and to look to Christ, for he indeed will show us the way. We pray this in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let us join together as we sing our closing hymn.